All right, welcome back to the podcast. Um, returning guest Riley Wagerman joins me. Riley, thanks for joining me once again. Thanks for having me on, Josh. It was fun to talk. Cool. So um, I want to continue the discussion we had last time um, when it comes to, I guess, the Great Reset, um, the technological enslavement that we may be facing over the next five to ten years, and vaccine mandates as well. So I'll start with vaccine mandates. Um, I want to know, were you a little bit surprised by how by how, how little resistance there was across the world um, when it came to when it came to the vaccination rollout and when you know their their regime, so to speak, was um, open about mandating it? Like, did you think there would be more resistance across the world, like in places such as? like Italy or Australia or Austria, like places that had quite severe vaccine mandates. Did the whole, um, I guess, PSYOP, so to speak, really surprise you in many ways? I, I would say it did. I was most surprised by how, um, you know, with the case with the vaccines, just basic logic tells us that there's no way to know the long-term safety of these drugs because they've only been around for six months, right? So it was very surprising to me that people would, they sort of jumped on this, you know, I don't want to be seen as anti-science, so I'm going to go along with this, and I support vaccination because I I support the science. And it just, I was amazed that, it, it, it doesn't surprise me that, you know, you have this herd mentality, but that people would go to such extremes while seemingly being blinded to the fact that what they're doing, it could be, I mean, I believe we're seeing a lot of evidence of this already, that this going along with the crowd sort of mentality can be, I mean, it's it could be suicidal in, 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 in this case, I would say. And it was, especially with children, seeing these horrible images of parents dragging their kids to get um, vaccinated was really upsetting to me. And I, I'm horrified that you would have parents who just don't like, where is the basic, where was the basic logic here? Like the basic reasoning where it's okay. Maybe, maybe some, maybe there is a vaccine out there somewhere that is effective. I mean, it's, I know it's a very touchy issue for a lot of people. I, I'm sort of on the fence on that one, but how can you possibly be okay with injecting something into your body that has no real data backing it? And people just went along with it, and that did really shock me. And it, it scared me. I have to admit that although I really try as much as I can to focus on... I, I try to give people the benefit of the doubt. I try to remember that... We all are living our own lives. We all have our own problems. It is upsetting that we in, inhabit this world with so many hundreds and millions of people who just don't seem that interested in asking the most basic questions. And the problem with that is like, all right, you live your life, I live my life. But then they like drag you in with them, you know? It's like we're being carried away by this mob and uh, so, yeah, it, it was it was quite shocking to me. It was quite shocking to me. But, of course, we must be thankful that there has been actually quite a bit of resistance. And 
overall, I would say. I mean, the Canadian truckers were an inspiration to the world. They even had something similar um, that was being organized in Russia before uh, the mandate sort of faded into the background. So, I'm not sure how red-pilled you were in general before COVID, um, and if you're aware of, you know, I guess the Great Reset agenda and that, that sort of thing. How alert were you to, I guess, you know, um, these digital control systems that they wanted to bring upon us pre-COVID? Yeah, I mean, I was, I was very, very, as an American, I had already become very jaded when it comes to sort of public safety, right? Like the war, the war on terror, sort of post 9-11 America, growing up in that environment where I saw with my own eyes when I was a child, when I was six or seven or eight years old, I could walk from the airport right up to the terminal gate and meet someone arriving, you know, from like, like I could watch them walk out of their gate. And that's in, 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 impossible to even imagine now. They won't even, sometimes they like frisk you down when you're just in the, you know, arrivals terminal. And I mean, that's just one of like a thousand different things that the U.S. Patriot Act did and all these other sort of anti-terror laws brought about this uh, very, very frightening total surveillance grid through the NSA and other uh, government and quasi-government agencies in the United States. So this was something that was definitely on my radar. But to be honest, I had never really seriously thought about how a, a public health emergency could be used in this way. I mean, I was I was vaguely familiar with the with the bird flu scam. Or sorry, the the swine, the flu. swine flu, I guess it was. Swine flu, sorry, yeah. It was the swine flu that they did with Obama, like 2009-2010. So, I knew a little bit about that, but I just sort of I just sort of I just never thought they could take it this far, you know? I always assumed that it was just sort of these stupid, hysterical people just, you know, just messing around. And I, it never occurred to me that it could get this drastic. That being said, you know, I was also at the time, um, I've been someone who, it's sort of a weird position to take, but I'm very, uh, I'm very anti, not just IDs, but I'm convinced that like the international passport system is like one of the greatest crimes ever committed against us because it's, you know, it's this um, system that was created during World War One, and it was meant as a temporary system to keep out spies and refugees during World War One. And you can go back and read the transcripts from the League of Nations in like 2025, 2026, and they're saying, well, we were supposed to abolish this system, but instead we're just gonna we're just gonna standardize it, you know. And it's it's fascinating how in 1914 you could travel anywhere with no you didn't need a document to go visit India or travel to Europe or wherever you wanted to go. And somehow this has become normalized. So I'm very very concerned, and I'm going to be writing about this. You know how um, this new what seems to be coming up the road, you know, an international vaccine passport seems to be the next step in this system, this control system that they started a very long time ago. Yeah, you did in, um, mention the international passport um, system. Um, 
or agenda last time we spoke. And that sort of leads me on to my next question because over the past hundred years or so, we've seen like this rapid sort of um, technological revolution. Um, like the technology we have um, is nothing compared to what it was a hundred years ago. And it's a lot more drastic from, I guess, the changes that were seen in the 20th century compared to the 19th century. So um, they've really picked up the pace when it comes to technological breakthroughs for whatever reason. Um, do you think this is a natural phenomenon or do you think they've had this t sort of technology for a lot longer and they've strategically released it slowly to um, sort of hypnotize us and get us addicted to technology in a certain way that will make us, you know, accept, um, I guess, their end game, which is total digital enslavement. Well, yeah, I don't, I mean, I guess we could theorize about this, but I don't even think we need to. I, I'm pretty sure it's confirmed that a lot of technology that is released for, you know, consumers is basically, you know, 20 year old technology from the Pentagon, right? Like a lot of this stuff is developed by the military or by governments. And then once they have something that's far more advanced, they, they like give it to the consumers, right? I mean, the most, the, the best example is how almost every aspect of our life now involves GPS, right? Like you use GPS to drive your car, to order food. You can like watch the delivery guy, bring it to your house. <laughs> And they have, I mean, if they allow you to have that, imagine what they are capable of now. Like these militaries and these governments, I mean, the, their ability to track and monitor and surveil people is going to be 10 times more sophisticated. And maybe one day that will reach the consumer. But, you know, by that time, I don't think it's even going to matter, you know, if you can watch your pizza be delivered to you in real time. But, um, I do think that there is obviously there for, I mean, the mo maybe the most obvious example here would be um, like the, like with energy and um, the like automobile industry. I mean, there have been people over the past hundred years who have made like cars that run on hydrogen or cars that run on water. And then, you know, it just, they just sort of get bought out or pushed away or, somehow sidelined and i do think that there clearly is an effort an organized effort to suppress um certain technologies that we're either you know they don't want us to have yet or interferes with their whatever their technological plan for us and uh you know and also probably money is a big motivator certain technologies probably they don't want out there because so many influential people and businesses are invested in, in certain other technologies. So that being said, I'm not uh, advocating for any of this like green energy bullshit. I'm just saying like in general. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So if I can just go back to what you're talking about when it came to, I guess, you know, what happened after 9-11 and you're talking about how that, you know, was the, problem reaction solution type event for airport security around the world. Um, I wasn't old enough to, I guess, experience that change during that time. But do you think there was more skepticism during COVID or during 9-11, do you think? Hmm, that's a good question. It would probably depend on the person. I would say that 
the thing with 9-11 was that was right and that was right when people started using the internet basically like 2001 that's when the internet sort of started being fairly common and i would have to say probably probably people were i think people were more skeptical with covid not even because they learned from 9-11 but just because of the internet and people are able to quickly find information uh you know refuting the official narrative that being said i think it works both ways because i remember you know sitting on facebook and wanting to kill myself because everyone on my facebook feed was like wear a mask stay home save lives and like, this is the end times like i can't i can't deal with this i i ended up leaving i ended up deleting my facebook i was so depressed so it's a it's a weird there's a weird like sort of double-edged thing with the internet where if you're looking for answers you can usually find them but it's also a really great way to um what's the word just make sure you know standardized thought right you get everyone in lockstep uh with these social media apps and things like that but yeah you know it's hard to say it's hard to say i, I would think people it was with COVID that people were more quick to um find you know the problems because it with 9-11 and post 9-11 shenanigans uh you you do see a lot of skepticism now but it, it took several years you know it took like 10 years i think and i a lot of that i believe is because there is more resources available to people on the internet you know but it took about a decade so. can we also say that maybe that's also because that COVID affected the average person more than 9-11 did um, in regards to lockdowns and the threat of vaccination because I guess just introducing airport security that's not as I guess threatening to individual freedom as like shutting someone's business down or forcing someone to get a vaccine to keep their job um, would you agree with that yeah I would I would agree with that but also um, it it raises the stakes though because it actually so while it makes it makes it more worthwhile to, you know, invest time into thinking about it. At the same time, if it's ubiquitous, if COVID policies are everywhere and everyone is, you know, chanting, stay home, save lives, even if you recognize that it's bullshit, I mean, it's very, very difficult to go against the crowd, you know? And so I'm sure that there are a lot, there were a lot of people who recognized that this was nonsense, but this sort of kept their head down, you know, because they didn't they didn't want to have to go up against the herd. But uh, in theory, I would agree with you. I think that when these issues really, I mean, when you when you have to inject something into yourself because of this, you would hope that people would be more careful, right? And think more deeply about these things. Hmm. Um, do you think the whole internet era and smartphones have you know made people more dumber when it comes to i guess attention spans and have made people more anxious so when it came to something like covid you know that's what caused a more sort of um irrational response so to speak absolutely uh and in information because of just how fat uh you know fast information travels now the way that, I mean, I remember that ridiculous uh, live interactive map 
that John Hopkins had, you know, and it had like the the red bubbles above the cities that had so many COVID cases and they're like they're like, you know, pulsating, like boop, boop, boop. And it was just so it was so clownish. It's so ridiculous. And within the moment I saw that map, I was like, this has to be a scam. This is too stupid to to really believe. But people were glued to that thing. And I remember they were posting like hourly updates on Facebook, like, oh my God. You know, Tokyo has another 10 cases. We're all going to die. You know, but the problem, too, is with with the with the phones. And it's it's also, I think uh, it's a a validation problem where people are like they constantly need to be entertained and they constantly need to be validated, which is another one of my big beefs with social media. And it seems like people are now um like molding their entire worldview around this obsession this need to get like likes and upvotes or whatever you know and um it's scary it's scary how they it it does have this sort of zombifying effect i think you can absolutely see it and um in my experience as someone who has traveled around the world a lot uh there's never a better, like the best way to think clearly is to like not communicate with people, you know, like get away from everyone and just like sit and think about something and whatever, you know, in, in, in this scenario, you don't have to worry what other people think, like how other people think, what how other people think about what you're thinking. Just think what makes sense or, you know, just go through it logically. And this is, again, it's, it's scary how you create this internet hive mind where people are really just saying the most ridiculous things and everybody just goes along with it because they're too afraid or they're too cowardly or too lazy to just say, no, this is bullshit, you know? So, yeah, it's a problem. I think it's a huge problem. One of the other guests I've had on the podcast, um, My Fitness Feelings, he said that um, when it comes to, I guess, the reality that we face of, you know, possible technological enslavement with central bank digital currency, digital ID, all that sort of stuff, giving up our smartphones would be one of the best ways to resist that. Would you agree with that? But at the same time, do you think it's realistic? Yeah, um, I mean, I would agree with that because it seems like so so many of the ways that they seem to be able to control us, not not through like violence, but just coerce us into doing things, seems to be coming through our digital devices, our electronic devices and our smartphones. And in a way, I mean, I, I don't know. It, it, I honestly do feel like at this point, mobile devices, smartphones, whatever, they just the uh, the disadvantages i think more and more outweigh the advantages of these things and uh you know there was that old i remember maybe 20 years ago there was that joke that the um american civil liberties union had which by the way has like gone down the trash but it it used to be a cool organization and they would say like uh you know your um your cell phone is a tracking device that can make phone calls, you know? 
and it's just like at this point it's it's everything it's everything bad and then you can test text message people and another way is, is just because because it's always there in front of your face it's like they they live rent free in your mind you know and if you just get rid of that and just try to live live your own life you'll be much better off we'll all be much better off i think if we unplug a lot more so i definitely agree with that um i just i'm glad that you brought up i guess um the war on terror and 9 11 because i want to go back to that um whitney webb is someone that you've worked with i know um and she said on another podcast that um basically something along the lines of if more people were skeptical about the events of 9 11 and what the events allowed to um, happen afterwards, that we wouldn't have possibly had to deal with something as bad as COVID. Would you agree with um, that sort of sentiment? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, why? What is so? What really shocks me on a daily basis is how we have. Um, there's so much media. There's so there's so many websites and. YouTube channels and networks, cable networks and newspapers you can read. And no one like actually, where's the actual journalism where people are just asking the most basic questions. And if we had had that post 9-11, uh, I think that the world would be a very, very different place. And, you know, as someone who has worked sort of in traditional media, I have to say that I think a lot of the blame lies with the cowardice and just the um, sort of go along to get along attitude of uh, the mo modern media. Um, it's really, really bad. I, I'll give you another example. This is, I mean, this is sort of related to 9-11. It was when the, the alleged assassination of um, uh, Osama bin Laden, right, where they had this ridiculous story where you had these Navy SEALs flying in on like a glider into this military compound in Pakistan. <laughs> I mean, it was so, the story itself was just backed by nothing and people just parroted it. They just regurgitated it. I couldn't believe it. At that time I was working in Washington, DC and I like, I had like a nervous breakdown. I just couldn't believe that all of my colleagues, everyone I knew would just go along with it and some of them would privately admit to me like yeah this is pretty shady but for them it was like this sort of partisan thing where it was well but obama did it and that's good for us because obama is like hope and hope and change you know and it was just so sad and this this feeling where people don't they think that uh you know uh you can just you can you know shit on the truth for your because it's good for the the greater good or whatever and this partisanship and this dogma is just so sad and you see it on the international level too with like people claiming that russia and china are saving the world from you know the space lizards and stuff like that it's like people lie to themselves in so many different ways and if we had just, if we're just honest and open with ourselves and allow open debate, think about how much better the world would be. 
but we just don't get that and it's so sad and it's it's very damaging and yeah it's it's, it's super it's a super big bummer <laughs> it's super depressing yeah i have my suspicions that the regime probably sets things up in a certain way um to you know make us behave in the way <laughs> that we do unfortunately i hate to be black pilled but um yeah, I can see you agree with me. Um, I think that's probably got a large part yeah. to do with it. Um, but yeah, uh, again, in our last conversation, you made the point how <clears throat> these digital control systems that are becoming more and more of a reality, um, they're sort of inevitable um, in many ways. Um, and again, you made the point that you know, that they easily bought in international passports by boiling the frog. First it was temporary, and then it's like, oh, you know, this is great, isn't it? So now it's permanent, and now it's trendy, and or whatever. Um, but is it a bit different this time? Because, okay, it's one thing with international passports, right? I mean, effectively, that's, you know, an international ID. It's a piece of paper. It's, it's your photo, your ID, whatever. But something like central bank digital currency a technology that will allow central banks and governments to program, you know, an individual's currency um, and they can control it at an individual level. So they can turn one person's currency off if that person's not doing the right thing and um, give um, another person some carbon credit or whatever if they're doing the right thing. That sort of dystopian technology, I think, is something that will hopefully um, soon enough wake people up to the point where they'll want to resist. Um, so I, I guess my point is that is like stuff like CBDC and the Internet of Things um, more threatening that will you know wake people up and make them form you know a resistance like what we saw with the Canadian trucker thing. Is that the difference this time? Right. So basically you're saying, is this, is this the red line? Is this where yeah. people say, no, we, we, enough is enough. I mean, again, I, I would hope, but you know what? I also thought that um, a lot of vaccine decrees and lockdowns would be the red line. All right. And they still, I mean, look what's happening in China. Actually, there is some resistance now in China, but it's still going on. Here's the thing, you know, um, a lot of this I think is going to be generational. So for example, for us, and maybe like obviously old older generations um cbdc's are going to be it's sort of it's not even that we're suspicious of it and we think it could be abused it's it's sort of an insult to us because we know that cash works we know that we don't need this constant surveillance there's no reason for this and it's it's like a slap in the face to us and so for our own i think like personal dignity we have to say no we can't this is not acceptable but what about, you know, 50 years from now? Uh, is, are, you know, younger generations, generations that are not yet with us, are they going to care that much that their money is, you know, on a, on a convenient little digital wallet? And it, this is the same problem with the international passport system. Imagine someone in 1913 being told that in 10 or 15 years, you're not going to be able to travel anywhere you want anymore. You have to have this international passport. And they would probably be horrified and say, no, that's unacceptable. We could never allow that. And now, not only is it normal, people uh, pay money 
for passports. You know, they're like, oh, I really wish I could be a citizen of Ireland so that I can travel the EU without, you know, a visa or whatever. So the problem is I, I don't think time is on our side because unless we really put our foot down and say, you know, like literally legislate it, you know, like this is never acceptable. It's just with time, I think people become lazy. They, they care more about convenience and security and safety over, you know, like individual freedoms, privacy, all of the, all of the things that we, we were, you know, raised that we were told were important, but are clearly not so important anymore to our governments. I think we're really, we're witnessing in real time, a shift where governments are no longer even pretending that these, um, you know, values are important. We're moving towards a collectivist, you know, biosafety, biosecurity, global state. And 30 years from now, who's to say that someone, you know, growing up, you know, in Australia or the United States or Russia is told, oh, yeah, we did have cash, but it was viruses were latching onto the cash and spreading. And it was bad. It was like child pornographers were using it. And now we have this safe and effective digital currency that can be traced. So there's no corruption or anything bad that ever happens, you know? I don't know, man. I mean, I don't want to be blackpilled. I really don't. But, like, it's still so shocking to see how much has changed just in a few years. And, of course, when you trace it back to, like, 9-11 and, you know, just look at look at the how extreme the changes are with these virus scans when you compare swine flu to COVID. I mean, what can they, what else can they do? I don't know. I don't know. It's scary though. Cyber attack. Do you think the cyber attack is the next one? (laughs) Oh yeah. I mean, that's what they keep saying. Right. So I, I'm going to take Schwab at his word. I mean, I, I believe when this guy says something's coming, I believe him. So yeah, I think it's coming. So I came up with this, with this idea called the Great Reset Game and how this is going to work is um, I'm going to give you, I guess, a statement that's related to various agendas related to the Great Reset and then you're going to tell me if you think it's realistic or unrealistic. And I'll I'll also give times um, as well. So for example, I might say by 2030, eating bugs will be normalized and you might say realistic or unrealistic and you might expand upon that if you want to. Okay. Sure. So, first statement. By 2030, only 10 to 20% of people will have access to private transport, and the rest of the rest of the population will be reliant on public transport and corporation owned fleets of driverless cars. Hmm. Uh, any, any time frame on this uh, one? By, or just by, in the... by, by 2030. By 2030. Um, I think. Well, it's a tough one because it'll depend on the country. I mean, it's hard to imagine that happening in the United States or Russia, but um, I think in certain parts of the world, definitely, it's realistic. Yeah, like Europe, definitely, I could see that happening. By 2030, only 10 to 20% of people will be able to afford air travel. Mm, yeah, I think that's realistic. I think that's realistic. I mean, it's it's obvious that they're trying to, uh, you know, prevent the proles from flying. So, 
I can see that being I can see that being a realistic scenario. By 2027, so in five years' time, universal basic income will be a reality in the Western world. Mm, yeah, abso absolutely possible. Absolutely possible. Uh, yeah. In five years' time, CBDC will be universally accepted across the world. It will be the most common form of payment, and most users of the currency will have a decent amount of restrictions when it comes to what they can and cannot buy. Hmm. Yeah, this one is this one is interesting. I would say, I would say it it maybe it won't be the most common, but it will definitely be maybe um, it won't have like a taboo around it, and maybe it's becoming more accepted. I think it'll probably take. Well, who knows? With, with sort of the speed with we're doing this technological transformation, maybe it won't take so long, but. I'm just trying to think of other situations. You know, it takes a long time to sort of change out a, a monetary system. So I would I would say probably it would take maybe ten years to fully to fully uh, adopt um, you know digital currencies. But maybe maybe they'll do it faster. We'll have to wait and see. I mean, uh, maybe with like a full financial collapse, this is a, this is a real possibility. So. Yeah. By 2035, most of the Western population will have a chip in their brain, and brain interface chips will be one of the biggest technological breakthroughs since a smartphone. I think that that will probably be, at least in the next few decades, I think that'll probably just be voluntary, and probably a lot of people would do it. You know, I, I even know, I think I even have friends who have told me that they would love to have like a smartphone chip implant you know something like this <laughs> but yeah which is really sad but i think that some people just love they, they like this stuff they like the transhumanist kind of you know uh merging of technology and and the human body but i, I don't see that being like mandatory i don't really know if there's a there would be a reason for it but i could definitely see it being like sort of standardized and or or uh like becoming sort of normal, right? In the, in the next decade or so, absolutely. And yeah, we, we do see Elon Musk, um, I guess, working on this technology, or at least he's the front man for the company. And you do think, you know, this is a serious type of technology that is actually realistic? I mean, you know, you know what I would say to that? It, it seems to me that humans were cursed with this thing, like this, uh, ability to imagine something horrible and then make it happen, you know? So, like, when Elon Musk is like, oh, yeah, we're, like, putting chips into monkey brains. Like, but why? But it doesn't even matter why anymore. It's like, if we can do it, we will do it. So that's the problem, right? It's like, but why would they do that? It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter why they do it. They just, we can do it, so we're going to do it. And that seems to be the trend, you know? So, yeah. yeah. Um by 2030, it will almost be impossible to live without having government-approved vaccines every year, as they will have the digital control systems in place to enforce people to get those vaccines. Yeah, I mean that seems like very a very very real possibility. Unfortunately, I mean I would imagine that uh, without you know having the government mandated or decreed vaccines, probably 
your life is going to be, you're going to be like off grid, basically, you know, you're not going to be able to fly, probably not going to be able to use certain services. Can't, you know, if you're a student, can't go to university, things like this. I think that that's a very, very real possibility. Yeah. And, and just to follow up on that, do you think like we've been um, tricked a little bit by how quickly they pulled back on all the mandates? And do you think they're going to reintroduce them as like a slow boil, so to speak, to the point where we get to that scenario that I gave you? And do you... Yeah. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, look, it's um, at the recent G20 summit, all the major, all of the participants of the G20 summit signed a declaration, okay, a non-binding one, but they signed this declaration saying, yeah, we, we are going to continue to develop proof of vaccination IDs and continue vaccine rollouts and coordinated efforts to develop these new vaccines. I don't see any reason to believe that they're done with this sort of, you know, needle, needle peddling, needle pushing. And I'll just give you an example from Russia, which is, you know, a country that I sort of write a lot about. Um, in maybe it was in June 2021, the Russian government, the Kremlin, Dmitry Peskov, the Kremlin spoke and said, the idea of adding uh, COVID vaccines to the national vaccination calendar is ridiculous. It'll never happen. And then exact, exactly one year later, like in June 2022, Russia's health minister came out and said, yeah, we're going to start talking with the parliament, the state Duma, about adding COVID vaccination to the national vaccine calendar. So it's absolutely a slow boil. It's absolutely a situation where unless it's like legislated that this could never happen, that this is illegal to pull the vaccines from the shelves to, um, you know, investigate and convict you know like punish the people who did this to us it's just a matter of time it's just a slow boil absolutely by 2030 the world's population will have decreased by 20 percent mm. i mean that's all that's a lot that's like a what like two billion or something 20 percent not like a billion and something yeah 1.6 um, yeah i mean uh, it's so hard to say because, you know, we could just plunge into some sort of nuclear catastrophe tomorrow, right? I mean, things can really change on a dime. I, I, I wouldn't say that it's impossible. It's hard to imagine, but also lockdowns were hard to imagine. Vaccine decrees were hard to imagine. So at this point, I can't even, I can't even trust my own imagination, you know? It's like just because I can't imagine it doesn't mean that it can't happen. So I think it's... It's possible, unfortunately. Yeah. Uh, by 2035, people will be required to get a chip implanted in their, into their hand in order to use their digital currency. Hmm. Yeah, I think that maybe not required, but probably that, I mean, that technology already exists. I think they do it like in Sweden. I mean, they, those guys love the, the digital implant stuff. Um, but... I can definitely I can definitely see a scenario where that becomes the norm, whether it's required or not. I guess we'll have to wait and see. <laughs> yeah. Um, by twenty twenty seven, very few people will be able to afford to buy livestock protein. So, like you know, chicken, mm, beef, yeah, 
Yeah, that's interesting. You know, the whole sort of eat the bug stuff is interesting because apparently um, that like Beyond Meat company that Gates is associated with is sort of having financial trouble. I that's I think I've read about this, that the whole sort of, you know, um, artificial meat industry is not going as well as planned. At the same time, there just seems to be this relentless push towards normalizing using, you know, insect products as replacements for meat. So I, I, there's clearly this agenda, whether it's going to be successful or not. I don't know. I mean, I imagine that it'll be at least partially pr successful. So maybe it'll just be meat becomes very expensive. So like you said, maybe people will just be priced out of buying meat. I think it's possible. Okay, last one. Over the coming decades, pandemics and plagues will become more common in the Western world as Western populations will no longer have access to access to food that has adequate nutrients or have hmm. access to reliable energy. Yeah, that's, that's an interesting point. Like, you could probably create real public health emergencies just from these sort of lifestyle changes that they want to foist upon us. I think also... Um, a lot of these, um, I think that as, as our existence becomes more based around like fear and the need for security and safety that it, it makes people just into like schizos, you know, and it's like bad for, it's bad for your, not just mental well-being, but your physical well-being. And I can definitely see scenarios where people just are so stressed out and so paranoid that it becomes very easy for them to become extremely ill, you know? And um, it's it's so sad. And also at the same time, modern medicine is so destructive in so many ways. And uh, I can definitely imagine a scenario where just problems with nutrition and lifestyle and pharmaceuticals creates this sort of perfect storm that is really extremely deadly. So I can I could definitely imagine a scenario like that absolutely absolutely all right um so yeah thanks for coming on again riley um i really appreciate it you definitely gave um, me some things to think about uh, when it comes to i guess this technocratic agenda um but yeah just for anyone listening um do you just want to let people know um what you do and where to find you yeah i mean i write on substack at edward slav squad i wrote write mostly about Russia and sort of the bio biosecurity state, but might be might be branching out to more general topics in the coming weeks. But um, thanks so much for having me on, Josh. Next time we talk, I want to ask you. We should talk about Australia. Love love to hear report on the ground from Australia. What's going on over there? Oh, it's fa fascinating. Yeah, yeah, for sure. We can definitely do that. So yeah, thanks for joining me again, and um, all the best. See you, man. All right, man. See you, Josh.